Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A word again from our sermon text. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days, rise again. He was speaking plainly to them. The word of the Lord. Dear friends, I'm not sure who's had a chance to open up that forward in Christ from February and take a look at the editor's article, the chief editor, Pastor Pope. That's his name. He's not, he's not the Pope. But he is the, the chief editor. And, and he writes about a bumper sticker that he saw Satan loves you. Did anyone get a chance to read that? Has anyone seen that bumper sticker? It struck a chord with me because I have. And because there seems to be sort of this reclaiming of villains, first generally in sort of pop culture, in, in movies and books and things, but not only that, also in religion, a resurgence, a reclaiming of Satan. So you get, you get t-shirts like, let's say, Satan respects pronouns, or Satan promotes women's health care, or um, you get a, a, someone entered a Christmas tree at a, a train museum in Wisconsin that was satanic themed. Even, um, you can't even watch like the Grammys or the Emmys or the award shows without a performer probably dressing up like Satan and singing a whole song in a, in a fiery backdrop, everything. Well, what has caught on like fire with Satan seems to be sort of this broad general definition of inclusiveness and love. And people who sense judgment and, and maybe frustration with what God means by love and, and the love that exists under God's law has caused them to chafe in their sinful nature, to chafe against who God is and what he's done, and instead just run the opposite direction. So here we are. We see bumper stickers and t-shirts and things that suggest Satan's the good guy. Well, it's Satan's next best play, isn't it? If you can't directly oppose God, well, then maybe you oppose him indirectly. You tease a little bit. You, you suggest, well, look, some of this stuff that God says is disagreeable, gruesome maybe, violent, and ignoble. It's not what you should perceive as right or good by your nature. Therefore, maybe God isn't such a, a great guy after all. The reading before us directs disciples of Jesus to a careful examination of the true gospel that gives us both the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you know a little bit of the context, St. Peter 
And therefore, all of the disciples, he's sort of the spokesman here, have passed their exam on who Jesus is, his person. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, because Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Some say teacher, some say Elijah, some say the prophet, etc., etc. But we believe you're the Christ, Jesus. So now they understand who his person is. But do they understand what his work must be? You also understand in the context of the whole Bible that when Jesus dies on the cross, it shouldn't be a surprise if you've been paying attention. Jesus has been planting the seed and teaching along, starting with this sermon to his disciples, saying to them, this is what's going to happen, you guys. The Son of Man, one of his favorite titles for himself, because he's, he's true man, but also the one who would ascend into heavens, just like Daniel prophesied, and receive all of God's glory once again, according to his assumed human nature in time, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And it's going to be your pastors and your most important people who are going to do it. And I'm going to die on a Roman cross. And then rise again three days later. So we understand that if the disciples get upset about this kind of thing, they still understand Jesus is someone to be respected, the most important person they've ever met, the, the Christ, the Messiah foretold of old, but they don't quite understand his work. But this is just it. So many people don't understand Jesus' work, even if they get or have a sense of his person. And so what we just read still challenges people, maybe even challenges us, but here's the crux of the matter. Our salvation depends on a solid foundation of Jesus' person and his work. In fact, this is so important. My old German professor wrote a commentary in the book of Mark, and he says that everything else in the Bible is a commentary on these verses. It's just that important, a summary of our Christian life and our faith. The Lord of the church has determined that he will be judged unfit to live by his own church, rejected. And yet, at the same time, saying these dark and horrible things that Jesus has said will actually be the key to heaven for us. It will shut the doors of hell. It will open up the blessedness of what it means to trust in Jesus, and it will be the guide for our whole Christian faith from now and and in a lot of ways into eternity. In fact, we'll never finish learning these verses when it says Jesus started teaching. He began to teach to them what must happen to the Son of Man. He never really finishes because he hasn't finished because he's still teaching us the bare gospel, but not the gospel according to Satan. Satan wants a counterfeit, comfortable, crossless gospel. I mean, if you could get into Peter's shoes, you could sense the shock and the horror as he listens to Jesus talking about going to the cross. The men with the miracles, the men with the beautiful teachings, the, in, the in, inviting beatitudes, the blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. And, and the man who opposes our, our religious teachers and shows a more authoritative way 
He can even silence the people who've been op oppressing us and, and fool and, and sometimes provide miracles for our enemies, the Romans. Just fascinating. You, you're telling me, Jesus, that you're going to go to the Roman cross of torture and pain something fit for criminals who've stolen and murdered and done horrible atrocities. This is no way agreed what Peter thought the Messiah should be. How could the master himself who raised those to life, the Messiah himself, die? And why should he die? Wasn't he supposed to conquer the whole world and rule over all? And so Peter took this opportunity to very roundly rebuke and rebut what Jesus has to say. To take Jesus aside and say, never, Lord, never. This is, this is never going to happen to you. No way. Not while you're on my watch, Jesus. You're going to rule. You're going to live. You're going to heal. You're going to work on behalf of the church and do all these great things. You're going to multiply bread. Maybe you'll take wives. You'll conscript soldiers. You're going to be the conqueror of conquerors. You're going to turn more water into wine. You're going to give, and you're going to be the government, and you're going to be great. You're going to be our bread king. How could you go wrong? And in so confidently saying these things, you know what Peter was doing? He was giving the devil ammo to fire new temptations at Jesus. Just consider who was behind all this, even before Jesus says what he says in response to Peter. Is Satan is putting up a stumbling block. Wait, now he's telling his disciples, Satan must be thinking, now he's telling his disciples he's going to go and do this blood satisfaction for their souls and save them from sins. I better put a stop to this. Who am I going to use? That outspoken guy, the, the Peter guy, who's supposed to be the rock, who's, who's supposed to be the, the special one, the one who talks on behalf of everybody, I'm going to whisper in his ear what to say. Now, you and I know from the next line that Jesus, Jesus is going to see right through it. Jesus turns around and he rebukes Peter. And he tells him this this has to happen. But first, his first words are, get behind me, Satan. He's speaking not to the, the redeemed believer in Peter, but he's speaking to the devil who's connecting with, with Peter's sinful flesh. And again, think, think along the lines of devil's, the devil's strategy, what Satan is doing. In the desert, when Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, not eating, not drinking, as we heard from last week's gospel, he was saying, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread, cast yourself off the temple, or bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all these kingdoms. He's challenging the person of Jesus Christ. Now what is he doing? He's challenging Jesus' work. Because you don't, you don't have it straight. And maybe Peter can drive a wedge between the Father and the Son's will so that maybe Jesus will give it up. You can almost trace the gospel of Satan here, can't you? Satan's got his own gospel. He wants Jesus to live comfortably. All right, maybe, maybe pull on some chains, maybe maybe ruffle some feathers, maybe aggravate and annoy, but maybe take that miraculous power and provide for a comfortable life for himself and his disciples. 
Maybe instead of going to the cross and having a, a life cut short, um, maybe Satan would be okay with Jesus' kingdom still existing, gathering disciples, promoting goodness, being polite, showing people the way, and then living a comfortable life, maybe getting connected, getting married to someone other than the church, maybe take a woman, maybe have some children, maybe raise them in goodness. Why would Satan be so comfortable with that kind of a gospel? The reality is that kind of a gospel is so comfortable and so useful to Satan because it doesn't really solve anyone's eternal problems. It just falls into the same filing cabinet as the other religion. That's not grace alone by faith apart from works. It falls into that filing cabinet of religion that means you have to work for it. You have to show your love. You got to be polite. You got to work your way to goodness before God and with other people. And so Satan's gospel presses us further. You know, I've got my own great commission, sinner, Satan says. Um, be polite to people. They might not like it if you, if, you, if you share the message about Jesus. If you tell them how to live or how to, how to choose different things, that might rub them the wrong way. That's really not very good. And if you say you know the difference between life and death in eternity and how God determines who's going to be assigned which place, well, you know, that's really kind of, uh, I don't know, that's kind of putting yourself on a pedestal. That's, that's not very fair of you. And that's not, that's not very gentle if you get aggressive with your friends in, in your Christian witness. See how Satan still puts stumbling blocks in the way of the work of Jesus Christ. Even now, he can't change what Jesus did on the cross, can he? Jesus triumphed when he said, it is finished. And Satan had no rebuttal when Jesus marched down into hell, proclaimed his victory, and then shot up back to earth to appear for 40 days before all his people. And still, the disciples wrestled with uh, the weakness of their faith, still not really sure what had just happened. It took the Holy Spirit to open their hearts to it. And that's where the devil, that's where the devil now finds some space to tempt, to challenge, to say to believers who would have the cross, you know, that's, that's kind of a prickly pointed thing. It's going to hurt to embrace the cross. It's going to be a little grotesque to explain to somebody what happened to Jesus. And it's maybe not the best sales pitch either. It's not a very good business strategy to talk about a God who died. That seems a little odd, doesn't it? And through that death saved us. Maybe, maybe it's time to just live the comfortable life. Do as you choose. Eat, drink, and be merry. You can be a Christian, but certainly don't live too much like it. Certainly, if, if it causes any kind of suffering, withdraw a little bit and go read your Bible or something, or maybe just watch some TV. You can see how the devil threads his way into our lives and tempts us, not just against the person of who Jesus is, but once you have the person of who Jesus is, also tempting against the work of what God has done to redeem us. 
And in that, I've had a, a really interesting conversation recently. We have chapels here on Wednesday mornings. All members are invited. It might help to, to text ahead, let me know, but um, we try to keep the doors open for that, that point in time. And it's an 815 chapel on Wednesday morning, so we bring all the preschool children, we, we, we put them right here, and, and we talk about the gospel. Usually it's an object lesson. And the parents are invited as well. And one grandma who has come, she told me, she said, you know, my granddaughter started talking about how Jesus loves us so much that he died for us to save our sins. And the grandma's a Christian. She says, I didn't teach her that. She learned that thing where Jesus died. She learned that, that part here. And she said, I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I just thought that maybe it would be a little too gruesome or, or maybe a little too descriptive or something to, to teach my daughter about the death of, my granddaughter about the death of Jesus. But she learned that somewhere, and I know where she learned it. It's here. Because um, even on a preschool level, Christians, believers who trust the cross and know how dear it is that Jesus died for us, don't hold back. Yeah, we might not lay everything out. I don't think I've talked about all the different wounds of Jesus and you know, all the punishments and attacks that the Roman soldiers had for him and how, how hard you, you know, the, the Jews came, the, the leaders of the people came on so strong when they accused Jesus and afflicted him. You know, we still teach it at a preschool level, but it's there. And it's not, to be, not something to be afraid of. Because at the end of the day, this is the thing that saves us. This guy died, and you don't have to. Not only because he, he isn't just a guy, he's, he's true God as well as true man, but also because this was the mission that was prepared in advance for him to do. This was his task. This was the Father's will, and it accomplished something. It achieved salvation for all sinners of all time. And by faith alone, those benefits are poured out completely for free. Trusting in this death, trusting in this Savior, think then you really see the love of God. Last time I checked, Satan didn't die on your behalf. Last time I checked, yes, yeah, Satan may love you, but he simply loves to split you away, to splinter you away from the path of the cross of Christ. So that maybe you'll forget some of those things. And in forgetting those things, not trust in some of those things, and eventually, bit by bit, lose your Christian faith. Instead, what does Jesus say? He says it's an absolute must that this plan must be carried out for our salvation, and to change it would mean the damnation of every man, woman, and child. To keep, to keep Jesus from the cross would mean Satan's ultimate victory. So how do we do that? How do we treasure that? Well, Jesus, when he sternly rebukes Peter, goes on to teach everybody who's there, and he, he calls him to himself, and he says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. If anyone wants to be my disciple, this is, this is the battle strategy. I know we're not 
known as evangelical Christians, as evangelical Lutherans. We're not known for giving stuff up for Lent, and that's fine. There, maybe some of you are giving something up as sort of a spiritual exercise or discipline. Um, but there's other things we can do to practice this, and we should be known for giving at least one thing up, giving up sin. Now is the time, Lent is a great time, as good as any, to consider the things, the temptations, the places and postures that we put ourselves in life where we find ourselves sinning and maybe repeating a sin that we've asked for forgiveness over and over again. Lent is a good time to go seek and destroy those things. Forgiveness is great, and it's, in fact, it's the best. After forgiveness is an opportunity. Now you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You've tasted it at the altar. You've been baptized into him at, at the font. You've been forgiven verbally, audibly, out here in this room. And now what are you going to do with that forgiveness? Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross. He defines the cross as self-denial. There are some things that would be really good to deny in this life to ourselves, that is to our sinful nature, to continue our walk and to hold ever more tightly to the cross of Christ. Another hour of TV, because I just love this show and I'm binge-watching it, or maybe deny myself that hour and go pick up the scripture because I haven't had a daily devotion. Another chance to, um, to secure the bag, to bring home the bacon, to, to work on a Sunday morning, or maybe I deny myself even that income, something that might hurt a little bit, to be with the body of believers on a Sunday morning. Or maybe the, the Saturday night party for the, for the same reason. De deny myself something that hurts, something that pleases my sinful nature, just in an effort to get closer to Jesus Christ. What will you deny to yourself? What will you deny to your sinful nature? Because I can't answer that question. I don't know all of your spiritual battles and how you wrestle with Satan and how he might put a stumbling block between you and, and God's word. And be mindful, Jesus is inseparable from his word. The scriptures cannot be broken. So if Jesus said it, it's worth treasuring up in your heart. How are you going to deny yourself something so that you can do what is right and good and pure and lovely according to God, as opposed to find yourself in another tempting situation where you have to wrestle with the devil because you maybe decide, I'm not going to flee it, I'm going to fight, and then, like the last time, I'm going to lose. Or maybe with God's power, I'll win, and I've denied myself that thing. That's good. But the, the most important thing when it comes to self-denial is holding close to your Savior, Jesus Christ, because only He has the kind of power that equips us to do this. We will face off against Satan in this earth. We will meet against weakness, the weakness of brothers and sisters in Christ, um, the weakness of the disciples in Scripture, our own weaknesses, how are we going to handle that? 
To be sure, we can't stop a grotesque, violent gospel. It's troublesome. It's laden with the cross. It means resisting ourselves from what ourselves may want in the moment. Sometimes it might even be impolite, this gospel. It may not feel so inclusive because it tells us what our behaviors are that are wrong. And if we'd rather cling to those behaviors, then we find ourselves in the wrong. And it hurts to say no to ungodliness and sin. But the benefits, the selfless, innocent, loving death of the Holy One, and the benefits, that means that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, purifies us from all unrighteousness. His holy, innocent sufferings and death mean the breaking of death itself and the hold. It means the demolition of Satan's work. We embrace this gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus loves you, not just for the time being, not just temporarily, not just politely, but forever, enough to split your sins away from your eternal record, enough to give you his heaven. God bless you as you embrace his cross and strengthen you in the fight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand.